thank you, Graham, for doing that so beautifully. It's a beautiful piece, and uh, thank you for singing it so well. Uh, thank you also for the invitation to come and to share with you. Uh, it's a real joy to be here and to have had the opportunity of talking to you a little bit about prayer. I don't speak as an expert. I speak as somebody who's learning um, I hope to learn a whole lot more, but I pray that this morning as we kind of wrap up this little series on prayer, that the Lord would encourage us uh, very much. We reminded ourselves that prayer is us speaking to God, and reading the Bible is God speaking to us. So the two go hand in hand. It's really important that we don't just do one at the expense of the other. There needs to be a balance. God speaking to us, and us speaking to God. We also reminded ourselves that the disciples uh, went to Jesus and they said to him, Lord, teach us to pray. And so we need help to learn how to pray. If nobody teaches us, then uh, how we get on, we, we kind of muddle through. And I'm sure, like me, you desire to do things just a little bit better. Well, maybe the Lord will help us this morning. I'd like you to turn in your Bibles with me to Ephesians chapter 3, because there's a beautiful prayer there, and we're going to read it together. The heading in my Bible is a prayer for the Ephesians. So this is a prayer that Paul prays. And he writes, as directed by the Holy Spirit, in verse 14, For this reason I kneel before the Father, from whom his whole family in heaven and on earth derives its name. I pray that out of his glorious riches he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the saints to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. And to know this love that surpasses knowledge. I always am amused by that when he prays that we might know that which is beyond knowing. Isn't that lovely? He prays that we might uh, know that which is beyond knowing. To know this love that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. Let's pray for a moment. Father, as we're just about to open your word and look at it together, we want to pray that your Holy Spirit would come and to help us. Sometimes we have to confess we find it difficult to concentrate. But we pray that this morning you would speak to us in a really clear way and that we might each one sense that it's just for us, Lord. We thank you that you love us more than we can ever really understand. And we thank you, O oh Lord, that you're not looking at us with a face that is stern, but you're looking at us through eyes that are filled with love and compassion. For that's why Jesus came. And so we pray this morning that you'd grab hold of our minds and our hearts and enable us to engage with your word in a way that, would, that we would find really helpful and significant. And may it all be for your glory. We ask it, Father, in the precious and lovely name of the Lord Jesus. Amen. 
I'm sure you've all heard of the famous Greek philosopher Socrates. Well, Socrates, when he was coming to the end of his life, uh, he said something really interesting and profound. He said the unexamined life is not worth living. And I kind of like that. Because I think it's important for us to uh, just examine our lives from time to time. Oh, oh we mustn't overemphasize this self-examination because if we go into it, we can become introspective and that can lead to despair. And That's not a good thing. But the self-examination has to be a little bit more than cursory because if it's superficial, it can result in false confidence. But honest evaluation can make us better people if we act on what we learn. And to submit to the Holy Spirit's scrutiny as we look into the mirror of God's word is to grow in knowledge of God and of ourselves and to develop a humility and an honesty and integrity. But to live in a dream world of make-believe is to court disaster. There's a lovely prayer at the end of Psalm 139, which would be a good prayer for us to pray. Search me, God, and know my heart. Test me, and know my anxious thoughts. See if there's any offensive way in me, and lead me in the way everlasting. Basically, we're saying to God, God, would you come and do a work in me, so that I might be all that you want me to be. Now, please understand that God's approach is tender and his diagnosis is accurate. So we don't have to be afraid to pray a prayer like that. His examination is an x-ray. It's not an autopsy. He doesn't just cut us to bits. And if the unexamined life is not worth living, then the unexamined prayer life is not worth continuing. I think we probably all know how easy it is to follow a daily devotional routine, but not really to pray. We can easily read our assigned Bible verses and follow our prayer calendars, uh, but day after day we can unconsciously press that replay button and we can pray the way we always pray. Same words, same phrases, same order. And when we get to the end of it, uh, when we're finished, we can congratulate ourselves that we've been faithful in having our daily quiet time or our chosen time. But when it's like that, very little has been accomplished. Very little of lasting spiritual good has been accomplished. Well, we read together a marvelous passage from Ephesians, a wonderful prayer of Paul in which Paul encourages us to ask ourselves some pertinent questions about our prayer lives. Now, whether you realize it or not, over the last three weeks, we've been stepping into the school of prayer. We've been thinking about prayer and we've lingered there just for three weeks. Well, you need to know that today it's examination day. It's examination day. We're going to test ourselves. Oh, we're not going to do it out loud. We're not going to share our uh, experiences with one another. 
the questions will come, but we need to personalize the questions because maybe the Spirit of God would ask us questions individually. And we have to answer them in the quietness of our own minds. And do remember that putting off an answer, a delayed answer, is a denied answer. So don't put off the answer. So I've got four very simple questions to ask you this morning. The first question is... Uh, Well, before I get to the first question, I once want to tell you about A.W. Tozer, who was a wonderful American man. And he said something that I think is really useful. He said, an unexamined Christian stands like an unattended garden. Let your garden go unattended for a few months, and you will not have roses and tomatoes. You'll have weeds. We all know that, don't we? If we don't get out and do the garden before the winter rain comes, oh, we've got a big job in spring. And so it's like that in the Christian life. It takes examination, teaching, instruction, discipline, caring, tending, and weeding, and cultivating to keep, keep our lives right. So the first question on this examination paper is very simple. It's, it's this. Am I praying? Am I praying? Paul was a man of prayer. We know that. Did you know that Paul's Christian life began with three days of prayer? You'll remember that he got so angry with the Christians and Christianity that he persecuted them. And he didn't just do it at home. He went to the high priest and he got letters and he took the trouble to go all the way to Damascus because he wanted to, he wanted to sort out the Christians there too. And on his way to Damascus, he met Jesus. Remember? There was a bright light and he fell to the ground and he heard a voice asking him, why are you persecuting me? And he said, who are you, Lord? And he had this conversation with the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, it's very interesting to read in Acts chapter 9, verse 9. It says, for three days he was blind and did not eat or drink anything. So he went into Damascus, he was blind, and he didn't eat or drink uh, anything. And then a couple of verses later on, the Lord speaks to a man called Ananias and tells him to go to deal with the man called Saul. It says the Lord told him, go to the house of Judas on Straight Street and ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul for he is praying. And he'd been there for three days. So I think that the bulk of those three days had been spent in prayer. He, his ministry started with prayer. And he wasn't slow to ask his prayers, his friends to pray for him. And he certainly prayed for his friends. He said in Second Timothy chapter 1 and verse 3, Night and day I constantly remember you in my prayers. You see, for Paul... Prayer wasn't just important, it was absolutely vital, it was a necessity. And the truth is that Christians who don't pray slowly slip away. The first we see is when they don't go to church. But that's been preceded by their prayer slipping. And Jesus said in Luke 18, he told his disciples a parable to show them that they should always pray and not give up. We should always pray and not give up. It's true that we can get very tired in the Lord's work. I guess 
when Sunday comes to an end, Graham, Nicola, you're tired with all the setting up and tearing down that, that you guys do, and others as well. It's one thing to be tired in the Lord's work, but it's something totally different to be tired of the Lord's work. And some folk feel they don't really need to pray. They hit the ground running in the morning and they just have an odd conversation with God at different moments through the day. And they'll do that. But you know, such are the deceptive effects of the fast food society which prides itself in doing anything on the run. Did you know that McDonald's seats in McDonald's are designed to be comfortable for only 15 minutes? Why? Because they want to move you out so they can sell food to somebody else. We're living in a fast food society. A fast, we're, we're, we're doing everything at the rush. And that impacts our relationships. And especially our relationship with God. Oh, how deceptive that is. Because we need to do more than that. Oh, it's okay to say arrow press. Peter did it when he was in the boat and Jesus came walking on the water and they shouted out, Is that you, Lord? And if it's you, bid me come to you. And Peter gets out of the boat. He thinks, This is marvelous. I can walk on the water. And he thinks, Oh boy, these waves are big. And, uh, and the wind, oh, it's blowing. So he takes his eyes off Jesus and he begins to sink. And he says an arrow press. Oh, help, Lord. Just two words, help, Lord. And immediately Jesus reached out his hands. Arrow prayers are good. But you know they shouldn't take the place of quality time spent with God. You remember Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. He said to his disciples in Mark, watch and pray. So that you will not fall into into temptation. The spirit is willing but the flesh is weak. And we need to spend time in prayer too. So if prayer isn't important in your life, maybe you need to have a conversation with Jesus about it and and ask him to help you so that prayer becomes more important. That's why we call quiet times a chosen time because we choose to have it or we choose not to have it. And it's always good to choose to have it. And if you need help in getting your chosen time working Ask for it. Go somebody who's spiritually more mature and say, can you help me? Because I want to do my praying better. So that's the first question on the exam paper. I'm not scoring, so I don't know how you do. But you, you will know because the Holy Spirit will tell you. So the second question on the exam paper is equally sim- simple. And it's, it's this. Why am I praying? There are different motives for prayer. Some are good and some are not good. Um, You'll remember that there were some folks in the New Testament who prayed long prayers and loud prayers because they wanted other people to see them. They wanted other people to be really impressed by them. Oh, he's such a holy fellow. He prays, you know. Wow. And when he prays, he stands there. He holds his head at a certain angle. So he just looks holy. There were people like that. And... uh, Jesus didn't like that at all. He called that hypocrisy. C.H. Spurgeon, the famous Baptist preacher, said some people grow when they pray and others just swell. Some people grow when they pray and others just swell. You know, sometimes I think that long prayers in public means that there are short prayers in private. 
It's not all true, but maybe sometimes it is true. But Jesus didn't die on a cross just so that you and I could try to impress other people with our prayers. The language that Jesus uses in the Bible is very simple. The average length of the words that he used, I believe, is just five letters. Words like grace and faith, which are very profound but not very complicated. He communicates so beautifully. So some people prayed with bad motives. And other folks prayed simply coming to God with a wish list. Uh, Just coming to get things from God. And sometimes we're like that. We can come and say, Lord, I... I have this plan, and uh, if you just sign the bottom of the plan, I'll fill fill in the details later on. But I don't think that's a prayer that is always honoring to God. Why was Paul praying? Well, look at Ephesians chapter 3 and verse 14. That little phrase, for this reason I kneel before the Father. If you look at the that chapter, you'll see the first verse of the chapter, Paul says exactly the same thing. For this reason. For this reason. And and for this reason, what does that mean? Well, he's referring to what's going on in chapter 2. And what's going on in chapter 2? Well, in chapter 2, Paul is dealing with the building of the church. So we remember that the purpose of prayer is not to get our will done in heaven, but to get His will done on earth. And we remember that Jesus said in Matthew 16 and verse 18, I will build my church and the gates of Hades or hell will not overcome it. And so when we're praying, we're praying that the Lord will work in us so that we're in the place where he can work through us so he can use us in the building of the church. Fantastic, isn't it? That you and I, we get to do something that impacts the whole of eternity. It's absolutely remarkable. So we pray that the Lord will work in us so that we're a help of some use to Jesus in the extension of the kingdom and the building up of of his people. So that's the second question. Am I praying? Why am I praying? And the third question is simply this. How am I praying? It's interesting, it says in uh, Ephesians there, it talks about the Christians as being seated with Christ in the heavenlies in chapter 2 and verse 6. In chapter 3 and verse 14 it talks about kneeling before the Father. So we've got sitting, we've got kneeling. In chapter 4 verse 1 it talks about walking with Christ. The NIV talks about live a life worthy. Uh, literally translated it means walk worthily so we've got sitting we've got kneeling we've got walking and then in chapter 6 it talks about standing wearing the armor and standing against the enemy now I have to tell you that I'm not really sure that our physical posture matters very much but I'll tell you what really does matter it's the posture of our hearts that's what really matters Paul prayed as a child submitted to his father. Feeds, oops, I've missed out. Kneeling, walking, and then uh, standing. And Paul prays, he says, as a prisoner of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's how he viewed himself. He didn't view himself as someone who was prepared to give God an hour on Sunday mornings and, and occasionally an hour on Tuesday evenings. No! 
Paul was a prisoner. He was held captive by Christ because he knew what Christ had done for him. So every moment of every day was Christ's. It wasn't his. He prayed as a child, submitted to his father. So that's the third question on the examination paper. How, how am I praying? How am I praying? And the Holy Spirit will, will mark your paper and the answer that you give. And that leads us to the fourth and final question, which is this, what am I praying for? What am I praying for? Well, Paul writes, I pray that out of his glorious riches he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being. So why do you think Paul prayed that they would be strengthened? Don't you think he prayed that they would be strengthened because they were weak and needed to be strengthened? That seems logical to me. Now we know that physically we need to eat a balanced diet, don't we? In America, some parts of America, they think a balanced diet is a hamburger in one hand and a Coca-Cola in the other hand. But we know that a balanced diet has, has a lot more involved. I've got to go and speak in one of the universities in April, uh, and, and they've asked me to speak to the students in order to tell, tell them how they can keep their spiritual lives vibrant and healthy uh, during the long summer holidays. And of course, we know if we want to keep healthy physically, we've got to have food, we've got to have something to drink, water, we've got to have rest, don't we? Well, if we're going to stay healthy spiritually, we need to have a healthy, balanced, spiritually spiritual diet. We need the nourishing word of God. Now, Paul says, uh, when he writes to Timothy, he says, train yourself to be godly. Let me ask you a question. Who does the training? Train yourself to be godly. The responsibility rests with each one of us. You see, without proper food and exercise, no athlete can ever achieve success. And without proper food and spiritual food and spiritual exercise, no Christian can ever uh, achieve spiritual success. Verse 16, Paul says, I pray that out of his glorious riches he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being. Literally translated, that means um, a power to become mighty through the spirit. Wow. That was Paul's prayer for them, that they might become mighty through the spirit. That would be a great prayer. I'm going to pray that for you guys. That you might have power to become mighty through the Spirit. Paul goes on to pray for spiritual depth in verse 17. So that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you being rooted and established in love. How we need spiritual depth today. So many folks are content to speed read their Bible. Instead of taking time to dig for the treasure that lies wedged between the lines. So many folks find the Bible a bit of a chore to read it. And we do it out of a sense of duty rather than a delight. Well, maybe there's a way we could read it that would help us to discover the jewels that are just wedged there between the lines for us to see. An American man called Vance Havner said, if you want to have fellowship with somebody in the average church, you'd have to backslide. 
He also said that Christianity in America is 3,000 miles wide and an inch deep. I don't know how wide Christianity is here, and I don't know how deep it is, but I think it's true to say that we need to go deeper. A number of years ago, Anne and I were in New York. It wasn't more than a couple of years after 9-11, and when we went, were in New York, we thought we really needed to go to the site of the Twin Towers, just maybe to, in some way, pay respects to the folks who had died there. And as we got there, we looked into what was really a huge big hole. This photograph was taken a number of years later. But there was an enormous big hole uh, where the Twin Towers had stood. And we stood and we looked into this great big hole. And when I came home, I spoke to an an architect friend. And he said, well, Michael, he said, you know, if you don't go down deep, you can't build high. And it's true for our Christian lives as well. You don't go a little bit deeper. We can't grow a little bit taller for Christ. Spiritual strength, you're praying for it. You're praying for spiritual depth. What about spiritual perspective? He prays that they might have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. And to know this love that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. And sometimes our perception of God's love just isn't enough. Sometimes if I'm in the sea and I stand at the top of Buchanan Street, particularly if it's a busy day and the street is heaving with people, sometimes I just stop and I wonder, Lord, in all these people who are walking up and down the street, how many of them know you? How many know that Jesus came to set them free? And occasionally, I find a little tear coming to my eye. Just it, I, I wish it came more. The things that make Jesus weep should make us weep. Most of us have no problem praying for ourselves and our families and our friends and our church communities. But when it comes to grasping the meaning of all the Lord's holy people and the vast dimensions of God's love, we're completely lost. We lack the kind of perspective we need in order to see the people the way Jesus saw them. A great harvest ready to be reaped. A sheep without a shepherd who are harassed and helpless and who are being led to slaughter by false shepherds. But if our spiritual roots are deep in God's love and our foundations rest on that same love, we will have power to grasp, to get our hands on the vastness of God's love. How wide is God's love? It's as wide as the world, isn't it? For God so loved the world. How high is God's love? As high as the heavens, isn't that right? How long is God's love? Well, it's the length of eternity. How deep is God's love? All I know is it reached down to where I was. If we understand more of the dimensions of God's love, then our, our, our perspective will be enlarged. We will begin to do all we can to reach a lost generation and to build the church around the world. Spiritual strength, are we praying for it? Spiritual depth? Spiritual perception, perspective. And then just the last one, spiritual fullness. He prays that they might 
know this love that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. And so Paul is praying about weakness, shallowness and narrowness and now he's praying about emptiness. You see to be filled means to be controlled by the spirit and that means to live from the overflow of God's power in our lives. How are you praying? Well Paul goes on and he introduces us to the most wonderful text. It's um, a text that I, I love. It's impacted me hugely in recent years. Chapter 3, verse 20, 21. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. Now look what it says. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we can ask or imagine. Let me ask you, what are you asking for? You see, God is able to do more than you ask. And it just seems to me the logic of that is that why are we asking for little things when we could be asking for big things? Because God is able to do immeasurably more than all we can ask or imagine. And as Anne and I came in this morning, we just looked across the road and thought, what a strategic place you're in. There's so many people out there. Last Sunday as I came, there's a football match. And there were more folks at the football match than there were in church. Is that right? So what are we asking God for? I've asked Anne to come specifically this morning to tell you a story. Thank you. It was mid-70s, a small town in Northern Ireland, Carrickfergus, a group, a random group of teenagers, not many from Christian backgrounds. We'd never been to a conference on prayer. We'd never had a series on prayer. We probably had never read a book on prayer, but we knew that as we embarked on a mission, we needed to pray because somebody had prayed for us. And we now were in the family of God. We met every morning at 6am. The phrase was, come when you can and go when you must. So we would leave when it was time for uni or school or work. But every morning, Monday to Monday, we were found in the upper room of a building in Carrickfergus praying for our mission. We decided that it was really important that if we were going to have people coming to the mission, that we actually invited the people to come. And so we started putting on a blackboard the names of folk that we wanted personally to invite. And we would add the names one after another after another. And one morning we discovered we had a hundred names on that blackboard. A hundred names. And it was a challenge for us then to invite these people to come. The first night of the mission, <clears throat> we were so excited. And we had really reached out to God in prayer for these people and we went back to the upper room after the first night and we were able to stroke off a number of names that had come to faith and our faith grew because we had seen answer to prayer and the morning after we were found at 6am praying for the next lot of people that would come to faith the mission lasted for two weeks and at the end of two weeks, we went to the upper room on our last day of the mission, just before it finished, and we had one solitary person, a man, uh, one of our young boys, hadn't come to faith. 
99 had come. We were so excited. And we went into the mission that night fully, fully anticipating that this young man was going to come. He was a lovely young man, great potential for the Lord. And at the end of the mission, we as leaders, youth leaders, we weren't very old, but we were youth leaders. Not a whole lot of uh, knowledge between us, but we were so excited and we stood. And we watched despondently as this young man left the building unmoved, unconcerned, and as though God just was a million miles away. We went back to the upper room and we got down and we wept and said, Lord, you gave us the 99, why not the one? And we prayed for that young man. And we continued to meet at 6 a.m. for prayer. And on the Tuesday morning, we were in the upper room praying and we got the news. This young man had gone home at the weekend. He had absolutely no peace. He got down on his knees and he gave his life to the Lord. And the question we always ask of each other in those days, and it's a good question to ask even today, is how big is your God? How big is your God? So the tech reminds us that our God is able to do immeasurably more than all we can ask or imagine. What would happen if we got serious about prayer? What do you think would happen? Do you think God might turn up? How have, how have the revivals started? Every revival I've ever read of has always started with people praying. Because God is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, that means that sometimes he works out with or beyond our imaginations, which actually means that sometimes he does stuff that we think he shouldn't do. But that's his right because he's God. Is your God big or is your God small? So what are you paying for? Those four questions, am I praying? Why am I praying? How am I praying? What am I praying for? Spiritual strength, spiritual depth, spiritual perspective and spiritual fullness. There's a well-known story of a church in London that was badly damaged during the Blitz in the Second World War. And the members of the congregation tried to restore it for worship. And as they tried to restore it, they discovered that there was a statue of Christ there that had been shattered in pieces. And somebody lifted the statue up and put it back on its plinth, but found that both hands were missing. And it stayed like that, looking not only incomplete, but pointless, until somebody put a little sign underneath it that read, Christ has no hands, but our hands, to do his work today. What does God want to do through new beginnings? I don't know. But if you embark on a prayer journey, it might be very exciting. I'm going to pray for you. Father, we thank you so much that we've been able to spend just a little time thinking about prayer. And we're so grateful, O oh Lord, for the ways in which you answer prayer. And yet the truth is, 
Most of us don't know a great deal about prayer, but we want to learn, Lord. And so we pray that we might not be content just to stop where we have stopped, but that we might have a hunger in our hearts, coupled with a determination to, to continue on this journey, Lord. And, oh God, we pray, Father, I pray for these folks, that they might discover more of your fullness and of your strength. And as you pour out your grace upon them, I really pray, Father, that you would come in power and visit Moody's Burn, that these folks might have a space problem because there's not enough space for all the people who want to know Jesus. Please, Lord, please answer prayer. And we'll be careful to give you all the praise (coughs) and all the glory. Amen.